You know, the culture is actually damn good. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hey, where y'all at? This is Trafalgar Square. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. Have you been drinking? It was a good show, huh? During the workday, when you feel possessed by amorous intent, may I suggest that you suppress it? Hey! 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 Hey, how you doing? Let's get in the conference room. I would like to invite everyone into the conference room. I would like to have a meeting in the conference room right now. I know for a fact that nobody in the Parks Department reads letters. Does everybody have to be crazy today? Now get me Savian! Off we go! Tuesday show, everybody. Welcome to the Bob Matthews Podcast, powered by the SportsJourney.com network. We are glad that you are here with us. Tons of stuff to talk about today. We're going to do something a little bit different in our interview segment in just a few minutes. Going to introduce you to a young man who was cross-country runner in college and is trying to change the face of college athletics, and he's doing a damn good job of it. So that's coming up in a few minutes. But as always, we got to start with our look back on Sunday in the desert. Washington going down to Arizona 30 to 15. That by now is old news. But of course, his new news is we now have the all 22 tape to watch. All right, way to go, NFL, getting it out. Of course, a little bit early this week. Remember last week, I think it was Thursday came out or something like that. All right, they have problems a lot of times first week of the season. But we got a chance to look at things from the eye in the sky yesterday. There were some good things and there were some not good things. So today we are going to talk about both Dwayne Haskins and, yes, left tackle Jerron Christian. And let's start with Jerron Christian. Um, I, I, I hate to mince words. Well, actually, I don't. That's, that's kind of what we do here in, in, this, in, this, in the chattering classes. We, we mince words. But, all right, I just want to say right off the bat, we don't know what goes on at practice. None of us do. We don't know any kind of deep inner meaning and stuff that's going on with the coaches and with the players and all that. All we're going to do here is we're going to grade Jerron Christian and Dwayne Haskins and anybody else in this segment throughout the year based on what we see. And what we saw with him yesterday wasn't pretty at all. Christian was pretty much on his heels from the moment the game started, and it really didn't stop. So I went back, looked at all of his snaps yesterday, and it was was ugly. Uh, It actually started on the first play of the game, very first play of the game, Redskins are trying to get Dwayne Haskins going. He drops back into pass protection. Christian does. Chandler Jones, who was lined up against him pretty much all day, I mean, just straight drives him back into the quarterback. He had a bad stance. He had terrible technique. And Jones drives him right back into Haskins. And and that impacted the throw there. And that should have been uh, our – well, that was our our first sign of trouble. And it was a sign of things to come because it just didn't let up. Second series that the Redskins had in the first half, um, he tries to get out on to the second level. He's trying to block, he's trying to block Devontre Campbell. Does not do a good job of it at all. As a matter of fact, he, he fails miserably at it. And uh, Devontre Campbell winds up making the tackle on uh, Antonio Gibson, who had a chance to break a big one on the play. And the reason he didn't was, again, because... 
Jerron Christian couldn't get up to that second level and block Devondre Campbell. Uh, later in that series, again, it's Chandler Jones. He, he, he reaches to try and block Chandler Jones. Can't pick him up. And Corey Peters is coming around on a stunt. Gets right by Christian again. And that leads to a Dwayne Haskins sack. Third series of the first half, he does make a good play. So let's not, you know, let, let's acknowledge when he does make a good play, he's able to seal the edge, and Antonio Gibson is able to make a good run there. But then later on in the series, once again, let's Chandler Jones get to Dwayne Haskins. Now, this one wasn't a sack, but it was a hit on Haskins. And again, John Christian was just completely overpowered. We move on to the third quarter. Um, there's a uh, cutback run that, that Antonio Gibson is trying to make. And again, it the play wasn't designed to go this way, but Jerron Christian doesn't hold his block long enough on Chandler Jones, and Chandler Jones makes the tackle. So from that point on, it looked like plays started going to the right side almost exclusively. Coincidentally, uh, Washington started to run the ball. Uh, by the fourth quarter, though um, he's back at it, um, there was a throw from Haskins in the fourth quarter to Steven Sims in the end zone. Uh, Haskins threw early, and he was off target with it. Well, one of the reasons was because, again, John Christian gets completely thrown aside by, by Jones. Jones forces Haskins to make the throw early. A little bit later in the fourth quarter, I got a note here, um, Haskins does hold on to the ball too long. We'll, we'll give him that one. We'll give Christian that one. But still... Jerron Christian, again, lets Chandler Jones get so far into the backfield that he's able to make the hit on Haskins. So a little better in the second half, but again, by then they were down, you know, at some points 20 to nothing. Now, I thought, okay, is this, I wanted to get a point of reference for this as well. And I know the one I'm about to make, you can save, I, I know what you're going to say. Went back and watched Trent Williams against the Jets. Yes, it was Trent Williams. It was the Jets. But let's be fair here. When Trent Williams was on the way out of town, there were people suggesting that perhaps his best days were behind him, that he wasn't the player he was, and the Jets were supposed to be an up-and-comer this year, 7-9 and nine last year. So they were expected I guess still are expected, despite the horrid showing they've had the first two weeks, of taking some sort of a leap this year. To watch the two is just night and day. I know, we're talking about a Hall of Famer against a guy who's had about three or four starts, but it's more than that. Just fundamentally, the stuff that you see, I mean, Trent Williams in the first half, his guy, the guy he was responsible for blocking, never got close to Jimmy Garoppolo. Never got in the backfield, for that matter. Run blocking, even when it was to the other side. You know, Trent Williams didn't stop until his guy was on the ground. I mean, Jerron Christian just on the coach's tape, and it may not have been that way on the field, but on the coach's tape, he just looked disinterested at times. Uh, you know, uh, that's not going to work. I mean, one of the reasons I think Dwayne Haskins was – as ineffective as he was in the first half, was because he wasn't getting time to throw. I mean, he, he, he never, seldom did he have a clean pocket to step up in and throw. It, he just 
didn't. It's not all on Christian, um, but you even compare him to Morgan Moses, who had a couple of really impressive pancake blocks yesterday. Jerron Christian's got to get right, and he's got to get right soon because that left tackle position is uh, it, it's the most important position on the line. It's just that simple. And if Sadiq Charles is ready to go, put him in there. I, I don't see how he can do any worse. Seriously, I, I do not see how he can do any worse than we've seen from Jerron Christian um, the, the first two games of the season. Dwayne Haskins had a very up-and-down day. There's no way to sugarcoat it. You heard Ron Rivera say yesterday that he it seemed like he was a little too high up, hyped up at the beginning of the game and went through his progressions too quickly. Um, he's going to have to find a way, I don't know, deep breathing exercises or what, uh, but he's going to have to find a way to, to figure that out. Um, the throw at the uh, end of the first half, it was third and two, their last play of the first half, third and two, he's trying to hit Logan Thomas uh, on a deep over, and he had him. I mean, Thomas was open. He just put the ball too far out for Thomas to catch. You know, say what you will about Logan Thomas. He's he's getting open on occasions. You know Jordan Reed, but he's he's getting he's getting open um, on occasion. Um, there were there was a time or two where. There was one, Terry McLaurin uh, won his matchup off the line and was wide open for a play that probably would have gone for six, and Haskins just didn't see him. Um, now there was some pressure, again, courtesy of Jerron Christian, but um, he didn't need to bail out when he did. Um, so you can, you, know, you can put a little of it on Haskins, but still, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and again, Terry McLaurin was open um, deep. There were a bunch of issues. Uh, pocket awareness was not great. Footwork wasn't great either, especially in the first half. It, it got a little better in the second half. Um, but first half, his, his footwork was kind of a mess. He ran into a couple of the sacks. But he also wasn't helped out by his offensive line, which just, I, I think, just plain old didn't give him enough time to throw. And that's something that, you know, they got to they they got to work on that. That's that's the easiest thing to control. I mean, the quarterback's the linchpin for the whole thing. Obviously, you got to give him time to do his thing, because if not, then you're 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 dead in the water. And it could very well be that if it wasn't for that tremendous arm strength, you know, you might be looking at a John Beck uh, performance as opposed to what we saw in the first half, which would have been even worse. Now the team is off today. They will start putting in the game plan for Cleveland tomorrow. Ron Rivera meeting with reporters yesterday, so we hadn't had a chance to run down some of this sound. We asked him um, about, you know, especially about the first half, and um, he acknowledged maybe, you know, just maybe um, the coaches maybe put a little bit too much on the players this week. You know, we want to make sure that the things that we're doing are, are, are right now um, enough for our guys to, to have success. I mean, are we asking them too much too early, too soon? I mean, in all honesty, no preseason games, okay? No OTAs in minicamp. You know, are we getting too too far ahead of ourselves sometimes? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, you 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 somebody asked me the question the other day, how long is it going to take us to get the entire offense in? 
I said, you know, we probably won't get everything in until next year. You know, and it's kind of the same thing on defense. You know, are we getting complicated? Are we asking too much of our guys already? And that's what we have to be careful of. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves thinking, oh, we got this, we got this. Hey, we can put this in now. So are we, are we, are we, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we got to look at us too. It's not just all about the players. It's about the coaches. So I wanted to make sure everybody knew that. I'm not looking to blame anybody or throw anybody in the bus. I just want to make sure we as coaches are giving our players a chance to have success too. It'll be hard because you, you want to progress as a coaching staff. You want to say, oh, we can do this. We have the ability to do this. We need to do this to help win. You know what I'm saying? Instead of saying, hey, let's stick to what we've done, you know, what we went through training camp. Let's work on those things. Let's don't get so far ahead that now we can start saying, hey, these things we talked about doing later on, let's do it now. I mean, you want to have success and you want to go out there and put them in position to win, um, but you don't want to get ahead of yourself. And that's, that's really what my concern was. Be interesting to see if the game plan is a little more simplified this week and if it is how that manifests itself. Also talked uh, about Dwayne's performance. And again, uh, say they're, you know, they're putting a lot on his plate uh, because that's kind of the job description. Well, we're putting a lot on the quarterback. You know, I will say that, but, but he's, you know, he, he did some good things yesterday. He made some good decisions. You know, the, the last couple of drives he had, he really put it together, but you know, we've got to get him going sooner. We've got to put him in, you know, in, in, in better position to have success earlier too, as well. We all got to do our job. Um, you know, there, there are some guys that you do expect a lot. I mean, Troy Apte is another young man that we put out there and, you know, we put a lot on his shoulders and, and, and again, he's like Dwayne. He didn't play a lot his first year. You know, didn't, and, and he really only had one real good year in college. So these are guys that are developing and learning, and we do have a lot on their shoulders right now. Yeah, specifically, what we've all seen from Dwayne Haskins the first two weeks is that his first half has been awful, both against Philadelphia and against Arizona, and then he rallies in the second half, and the second half is much sharper. Again, we asked Rivera about that, and, and he says, you know, again, one of the things that Dwayne Haskins needs to do is get out – to a better start. He says he thinks he's a, a little too hyped up when the game starts. Yeah, we had a couple issues where we had really good matchups. We had we had running backs on, on linebackers. Um, we had tight ends on safeties, and, and we missed those throws. Um, that's what you're looking for when you get those types of opportunities, be able to lay that ball right over the top of the shoulder, you know, to create those big plays. And, and, and we missed a couple of those. Now, he made some really good ones, some really good decisions. He threw a couple of nice ones. He hit Steven uh, – he hit, uh, he hit um, um, Steven Sims over the shoulder on, on, on a nice route up on the sideline. You know, so those are the things you're looking for. You're looking for more of those, though. And coming up tomorrow, we will give you our stock report, who is up and who is down on the 53-man roster. Going to do something a little bit different this uh, today. We have Emily Giambalvo of the Washington Post with us. She has a story that is up at WashingtonPost.com right now uh, about a cross-country runner from the University of uh, was Washington or Washington State. He started at Washington State, and then he got his master's degree at Cal Berkeley. That's it. And if you're wondering why um, she did a story about a cross-country runner on the West Coast, the reason is very, very interesting. His name is Andrew Cooper. And Emily, first, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being with us. Um, first question, introduce us to Andrew Cooper and tell us um, why he is so interesting. 
yeah, he's a, he's a walk-on cross-country runner from suburban Seattle. So at first you're thinking, you know, what is interesting about this guy? And really over the last four or five years, he has spent all of his time in college studying the NCAA model and basically figuring out everything that's wrong with it, how it takes advantage of athletes. And, and he's pretty much devoted his entire life to trying to fix it. So he went and got a master's degree and wrote his thesis on the inequities in college sports. And he's about to finish that up and now plans to stay in this world of college sports reform. And, and a lot of people might remember the PAC 12 football player movement um, a couple months ago. And he was like involved with that from its earliest days. So when you're talking about the first football players involved, he was right there with him. He was just much more behind the scenes because he was a cross country runner, but he had a, a huge impact on that movement. And that was, uh, I mean, th that movement, I mean, if, if not, in addition to the coronavirus, I mean, it was one of the, the main drivers on, on getting the season delayed so far was the fact that they wanted all of these extra safety uh, precautions and stuff put in place, right? Yeah, and we'll never really know what led to these decisions, but it was the first time players had come out so unified in saying, hey, we're really worried about whether we're going to be safe, are our schools all forced to adhere to these protocols? And I think in a lot of ways, the pandemic to, to people like Andrew Cooper exposed how much athletes aren't really heard in the decision-making process. Like through this whole process of deciding whether we should play college sports, it, it, there hasn't been a real avenue for athletes to be asked like, hey, do you guys want to play? Are you comfortable with playing? What would make you feel safer? So I think it was kind of this perfect storm um, with all of the you know conversations about racial justice and seeing how that ties into this too um that just made it a, a good opportunity in time for a movement like this did he tell you was there some sort of aha moment for him where he realized how inequitable this whole situation was yeah it's it's interesting um because I think it was gradual, but, but also there were some turning points. So he went to this conference as a sophomore in college where, you know, it's some athletes from around the Pac-12 just meet up and, and talk about issues. And that was the first time he realized, like, wait, this system, like, where can my voice be heard? And, and then he later realized the administrators just didn't seem to be listening. And then he felt like this couldn't be changed from the inside. And then in talking to some of his athletic peers from around the Pac-12, that was when he he started to understand the issue of racism more and realize how that ties into um, issues in college sports. And then I think, you know, the other big thing was the death of Tyler Holinsky at Washington state who died by suicide. And, and that really opened his eyes to mental health in college sports. And, and that's been one of his biggest passions moving forward. So lots of pieces, but have all led him to the same conclusion. What are some of the things he wants to get the NCAA to do for athletes? Because it sounds like, according to him, and, and I kind of agree with him, uh, it's just, it, it's go to class, be quiet, go to class, go to practice, and go play whatever your sport is. So what does he want to do for the athletes? Yeah, I think there are a lot of pieces, and he's so eloquent um, in explaining all of it. And, you know, I think the first big thing is having a voice, you know, there should be a structure in place, whether that's a players association or, or something where athletes feel like they can go and, and say what they want and how they feel. Because right now that just doesn't really exist at the college level like it does in professional sports. And then the other piece of it is economic rights, whether that's, you know, name, image, likeness policies that we're moving forward on, um, or even greater revenue sharing models. And then along with that protection. So his big thing is like, you know, we're talking about the money so much like college sports is a business, but, but 
it's a business lacking the, the normal things that businesses have, like, you know, protect you from, you know, certain dangers you have, like health and, and safety, um, that doesn't exist in college sports. So he's all about kind of these benefits and protections and athletes having a voice. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that there are a number of college athletes that are afraid, you know, they have concerns about something or another. They're afraid if they speak up, they're going to have their scholarship yanked away. Yeah, and that's what we've seen um, really over the last few months is just this power imbalance in college sports has never been more apparent where these athletes don't feel like they can speak up. And, and that's why having this some sort of formalized structure is so important to people like Andrew Cooper. And, and the other thing that he mentioned that was interesting and makes sense is that, you know, athletes come in as a freshman and they're just kind of like wide-eyed, excited to be there. And then as a sophomore, you know, they're getting into the groove of school. Junior year, they're trying to be the best athlete they can be. And then, you know, a year later, they're out of the system. So it's kind of like the NCAA gets these new athletes every year. Are, and, and they're not questioning it. Whereas if, if all these people were around for decades, you know, maybe you would start to see them get older and start challenging the system. But with the way college sports are set up, they just cycle in and out. And, and that same process can repeat over and over. So what's next? Um, what's next for Andrew and, and for this movement? What do, they, what do they hope to get accomplished, say, in the next six to 12 months, if anything? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the big things is just a players association. And, and I don't know what that would look like um, because you can't have a formalized union unless you are um, employees. And, and we know like the NCAA um, is not on board with that. So, so I think trying to develop some sort of organized structure where, you know, they can go to the NCAA, they can go to the public and say, this is how we feel. And then I think just kind of continue to be this voice for, name image likeness and, and moving toward more economic freedom and just holding the institutions accountable for um, issues that are happening within programs. And, and, and it's funny because when I asked him like what, what he wanted to do as a career, it's like, he's like, I don't know, but I want to work in this space forever and just wants to, you know, do what he can to help athletes and, and keep moving forward on these issues. It, it really seems like college athletes are starting to kind of discover how to, I think they always knew how much influence and power they have but they're really discovering how to how to mobilize it because when you think about it you just think about at paying college athletes that's probably the only issue in america now you could get republicans and democrats in a state house in the deep south or anywhere else to agree to pass a bill on you know yeah, and these last few months, and I've kind of been covering it from all these different angles, have just been fascinating because we saw after George Floyd's death, a lot of athletes began finding their voices and, and whether that was holding their own institutions accountable for racism in their programs or just speaking out about these problems in general. So it's like you had that and then you had the pandemic having them question like, wait, who's looking out for my safety? And it was like all these things were happening at once to where we reached a point in these last few months where it, you're right. I mean, it does seem like athletes more so than ever before are understanding the power they have and are willing to kind of leverage that to, to help them. It's a fascinating article. You can read it at WashingtonPost.com. Emily Giambalvo, before, before we let you go, uh, where, if people want to follow you on social media, how do they find you? Um, my Twitter is at Emily G-M, G-I-A-M, just four letters in my last name because it's too long. <laughs> Understood. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. It's a great read. I very much enjoyed it. Yep. Thanks for having me. 
All right, Mick and the clock on the wall tell us it is time to get out of here. Remember, tomorrow's who's up and who is down on the 53-man roster, all that. Plus, who knows what else we're getting to. Have you a good one. Remember, like the wise man once said, if you're on your bike tonight, as always, we're white. Just hey.